Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. How many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Man, have you come into this place prepared and ready to receive from the Lord? Amen. This section right here is. All right, here we go. It's going to be a great day. We are in part two of a series that we're simply calling Made to Worship. Because truth be told, we were made to worship. We were created with this longing, this desire to worship something greater than ourselves. And for us, there's nothing greater than worshiping God and worshiping Him alone. Amen? So this morning, I'm excited, part two of this series. I really felt that as we dove into this series, you didn't just need to hear from me. You needed to hear from our creative arts pastor. Pastor Joe is the one that leads the charge on the worship team and, and our online presence and all of those things. And really, worship, that's his area. So I wanted you to hear from him this morning. So if you would help me out this morning, welcome our creative arts pastor, Pastor Joe. Here he is. Come on, buddy. All right. Good morning, everybody. So like Pastor Chris said, today we're in week two of Made to Worship. Last week, PC, that's what I call him, killed it, kicking it off, didn't he, guys? So... I want to take this time and just honor pastors Chris and Angie. Um, we have great lead pastors here, guys. We, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, come on. We have great lead pastors here, and I am very grateful for the opportunity to serve underneath of them. But he took everything last week. He literally took everything that I was going to talk about. So I had to scratch. Right, I, right. We could just like play last week's, watch it again, and then go home. But, you know, I had to find something different, had to kind of switch it up a little bit and uh, kind of take a, the same topic but a different take on it. Because last week, Pastor Chrissy talked about the Levites, and really that is my job. Like, my job in the Old Testament would have been the Levite. It's to support the lead pastor, and basically get stuff done. So today, we're going to look at what worship is and kind of what the Levites did on a day-to-day. So we're going to look at what worship is and how do we worship, especially when we don't feel like it and when we don't feel qualified to worship. So First Peter 1 says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We are living stones that God is building into his temple. We're going to look at the first part of this verse for a little bit, and I promised myself I wouldn't nerd out too much. But I love the Old Testament. I love reading about the temple, and I'm weird, guys. I'm weird. Normal people don't like doing that. But did you know that whenever God gave the instruction to Moses to build the altar, he said specifically to use unhewn, and if you're not familiar with King James language, uncut stones. He wanted stones that were taken directly from the ground that hadn't been touched by tools yet to build the altar. He's not afraid of your imperfection. He's not afraid of those sharp edges. 
He's not afraid of the rough exterior that we have, and we don't have to hide it. So, Megan, if you would um, pull the picture up. Oh, back when the hair on my head was long and the hair on my face was short. Look at that. That was about 100 pounds ago, guys. Um, so, I asked before I told this story, but Brittany and mine's first date was our senior prom. There's our picture. You can go ahead and take that down, Megan. That's bad. Um, our first date was our senior prom, right? And um, I... First off, let me give a sidebar, guys. Do not do things over text messaging that should be done in person or at least through a phone call. I asked Brittany to go to prom with me through a text, and she responded, with you. She was excited and said, with you, but I read it like, with you. And I almost said, no, I'm just saying in general. Like, do you want to go to prom in general? But I, I didn't bail, and thankfully I didn't because now I have a wife and a daughter. And, you know, so anyway... Don't do stuff through texting that needs to be done in person. Learn from my lesson. Don't, don't do it. It's, just, it's not good. It's not worth it. Um, but then as we're, you know, setting up our prom date, she's picking out her dress. I'm getting my suit, my tie, everything like that. Um, I asked her where she wanted to go to eat, right? And she said, I don't really want to go out. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't want to go out? Like, I thought that's what we're doing. We're going out. And she's like, yeah, but I'm in this dress, and I don't want to go to a restaurant. And I said, okay, I can cook. And she's like, oh, okay, if you want to cook, I'll do dessert. And I said, cool. So, guys, I made chicken parmesan from scratch. I got a lot of the ingredients from a friend of mine that owned a restaurant, um, so it imported directly from the Mediterranean. I went all out. And Brittany bought a cheesecake. I guess I could say I knew what I was getting myself into. And see, the thing is, is even though I looked like I did back then, I was still a fat kid. I was just a fat kid that ran. So she was like, what do you think of the cheesecake? And I said, it's cool. Where'd you buy it from? Because not only did she buy the cheesecake, she bought a cake dish to serve it in that made it look like she made the store-bought cheesecake. So she was trying to hide what she thought was an imperfection. She was trying to hide what she thought was a flaw. See, we do this even with people that we love, and back then, you know, it was was new, we were just dating, so I get it, but how often do we still do it with people that we love today? They can't see me cry. They can't see me like this. They, I can't let them see me struggle. I can't let them see me fail. And then we try to do it with people, and sometimes you can do it, but we have the audacity to try it with God. And it's happened from the beginning. It's happened ever since Adam and Eve. So it's something that's been ingrained in us is that we can hide our flaws from God. But in Deuteronomy, he said specifically, get the uncut stones. Get the ones with the jagged edges. Get the ones with the sharp edges that are going to hurt because those are the ones that I want. He wants us the way we are. Now, let's keep going. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to nerd out. He wants our offering to come from a raw, uncut altar. So if he wanted our sacrifices back then to come from such a real place, why wouldn't he want that today? Guys, I'm going to be real honest and real vulnerable for a second. 
there are Sundays that I come in here and don't feel like worshiping. There's stuff that happened through the week. There's stuff that happened that morning. There's stuff that just has put me in a funk because I'm running late. There's stuff that happens that gets in the way. And I don't feel qualified. I don't feel qualified. I barely feel qualified to worship, let alone lead the team that's responsible for leading you. So what do you do? What do you do then? What do you do in those moments? And the thing is, I'm sure if I feel that way, I'm not alone, right? I'm not alone in coming in the doors and, man, I'm not feeling it. Something's happened. Something's put me in a mood. Something's put me, it's rubbed me the wrong way, and it could have happened in the parking lot. So what do you do? Now, as I was reading through this week, this was just extra, so don't, you know, like this isn't in the notes. As I was reading through this week, there's a section in Samuel where David is struggling a lot with problems. He's got stuff going on, and it says that he picked himself up, he anointed himself, and he went to the house of the Lord. That's what you do. Whenever you have those moments where you don't feel like coming, guess what? You pick yourself up, you change your clothes, and then you come. Because I don't know what sermon is going to speak to you, but I guarantee you it's not the one that you miss. So, anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today is how do you worship? And specifically, how do you worship when you don't feel like it? When you don't feel qualified, when you don't feel moved to worship, how do you do it? So, that first verse in Peter says, what's more, you are his holy priest. So, let's look specifically at what the priests that were responsible for worship had to do. And guys, I'm sorry, this next verse is very long. So, the work of the Levites was to assist the priests, the descendants of Aaron, as they served at the house of the Lord. They also took care of the courtyards, the side rooms. They helped perform the ceremonies of purification and served in many other ways in the house of God. They were in charge of the sacred bread that was set out on the table, the choice flour for the grain offerings, the wafers made without yeast, the cakes cooked in olive oil, and other mixed breads. They were also responsible for checking all the weights and measures. And each morning and each evening, they stood before the Lord singing songs of thanks and praise to him. Guys, that's a lot. They did a lot. And that's a lot to unpack, and we've got a little bit of time to do it. So let's get going. What is worship? And we're going to break that big question down into three answers today. So answer number one, worship is priority. In verse 30, it says, each morning and each evening, they stood before the Lord to sing songs of thanks and praise to him. Think about that. Every morning, every evening, without fail, no matter how they felt, no matter how the day had gone, no matter how the night went before, what time they went to bed, what time they got up, the first thing they did and the last thing they did was sing songs of praise to God. Every day. I guess for lack of better words, you could say they were all in. Because, see, commitment isn't something that we just get to turn on and off. You can't be all in and then all out because then you were never really all in in the first place. If you're truly all in, you have this level of commitment to whatever it is that you're doing, right? So it didn't matter how they felt. It didn't matter what they missed out on. And this one's going to be kind of key for me because my parents were kind of this way whenever I was a kid growing up. I remember weeks that we were at church six, seven days a week, guys. 
you know, between services and prayer meetings and mowing and cleaning and youth nights and this stuff. And if revival happened, then, you know, it was come, come even completely different. So we were there all the time, and I missed a lot of school events. I missed a lot of practices. I missed a lot of games on TV. A lot of stuff that I thought I wanted to do, I missed because I was at a church service that wasn't even for me. I'd miss it because we were at prayer meeting and I was hanging out in the bathroom because I was eight and it was a 45 to an hour minute prayer meeting and my prayer lasted three seconds. I mean, so I spent the rest of the time waiting to go home with my buddy, but I was still there. And see, a lot of that looked like legalism to me, especially as a kid. You all know what legalism is? It's where you do something out of fear, you know, specifically out of a fear of punishment from a man. A lot of it looked like legalism, like, man, why are we doing this? I don't really care for this, and I'm being forced to do it, and if I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble, and really not doing it wasn't even an option in the first place, especially for me. So I was like, man, why do I have to do this? And I kind of got upset, but then I realized something, that it wasn't legalism, it was discipline. And discipline is not legalism. They may look the same on the outside, yes. They're going to look familiar. They're going to look very, very similar, but they are not the same, guys. Discipline is doing something because it needs to be done, and it's the right thing to do. Legalism is doing something out of fear of a punishment. My parents weren't going to all of this stuff because they were afraid of a punishment. They were going to all of this stuff because it was what needed to be done, and it was what had to be done, and it was the right thing to do. And thankfully for me, at a young age, I caught a hold of that. And then that discipline carried on to me, and then I turned in to the person who was at the church anytime the doors were open. You know? And guys, I encourage you, encourage you, encourage you. Discipline is not legalism. Don't hide from discipline. Um, an average on America, on, a, on any given month, a church attender will come to church one to two times a month. And if that's you... I'm great. It's great. I'm glad you're here, but let's work on making that better. <laughs> let's work on upping that to three to four times a month because that's discipline. Discipline is showing up regardless of how the week went or how everything went over the weekend and whether or not you got enough sleep. Discipline is showing up because it's the right thing to do, and that's how you're going to get fed is by showing up here. Pastor Chris talked about it last week that worship isn't just a 20-minute experience on a Sunday but for some of you, it is. And that's okay for right now. That's okay. But if it's only 20 minutes on a Sunday and you're only here one Sunday a month, how does that lifestyle look? Discipline isn't legalism. Don't hide from discipline, guys. <clears throat> don't, don't hide from it. It's okay. It, embrace it. Embrace it and show up. And like I said, if you're here only once or twice a month, we love you. And we're glad you're here. But... I was at a conference probably about a year ago, right? And I heard one speaker say, God is unlimited, but everything else is on a budget. And that saying has stuck with me ever since. I've been, I was wowed. I'd never heard anything like that because it's so true. Our time, our attention, our resources, unlike God's, are all on a budget. So we have to prioritize. And if I said worship is priority, what are you doing with your priorities? So, a quote from Paul David Tripp says, marriage is rooted in worship. You are a worshiper. So, everything you think, desire, choose, do, or say 
is shaped, or sorry, is shaped by worship. Being a worshiper means that you attach your identity, your meaning, your purpose, your inner sense of well-being to something. You either get these things vertically from the creator or you look to get them horizontally from the creation. Guys, you can be noble and still be wrong. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I'm focusing on my, focusing on my uh, marriage. I'm focusing on my family. I'm focusing on my job. Those are all great things. But when you start to attach your identity, purpose, inner sense of well-being to those, it's out of order. And you can be noble and still be wrong. And that's kind of tough to hear because those are all great things, right? But you cannot prioritize them over the things of God. You cannot prioritize them over God. Once you start to look horizontal and at the creation instead of the creator for your inner sense of well-being and your identity, you've got things mixed up and it's going to hurt you. So, worship is priorities. And I'm going to end this section with, let me ask you one question. How do you worship God with your priorities? Or do you? So, answer number two, worship is perspective. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. Uh, The work of the Levites was to assist the priests, the descendants of Aaron, as they served the house of the Lord. They also took care of the courtyards, the side rooms. They helped perform ceremonies of purification, served in many other ways. They did the bread and the wafers and all of that stuff from the first time we read that verse, right? So according to these verses, the worshipers cooked, they cleaned, they did pretty much everything to maintain the temple. So my advice to you is if what you're doing doesn't feel like worship, change your perspective. Change your perspective. Because according to that verse, the worship leaders cooked, they cleaned, they took care of the temple, they took care of the offerings, they assisted uh, the priest and however they could, right? So their job was literally to make it happen. Whatever it was, their job, whatever needed to be done, that was their job. So um, if you're feeling like you're not a worshiper, but you're just vacuuming, guess what? God loves to hear the vacuum just as much as he loves to hear Chuck play guitar. He loves to hear that vacuum fire up. He loves the sound of a door being opened for someone just as much as he loves the sound of Ryland playing keys. He loves the sound of a broom hitting the ground just as much as he loves the sound of Jeff playing drums. Because he loves when the work is done. He loves when you're taking your time out of your day to honor him with your work whether that's music, cleaning, cooking, however you choose to honor him, that's how he, that's what he wants, guys. He wants our honor through our work. So if you feel like your worship isn't enough and you don't worship and you don't know what to do, change your perspective because what you're doing is worship. And I loved it because all the guys wore denim jackets today. So this next part of my notes is going to be great. If you think you're just an e-kids check-in person, go buy a denim jacket because you're a worship leader. You are. You are. You're, you're leading worship just as much as anybody on this stage because your job is important. If you think you are just a door greeter, go buy some distressed jeans because you're a worship leader and your job is just as important as anybody else's on Sundays. So let me take this time to promo our serve teams, guys. 
All of our serve teams are forms of worship. They are all you setting apart time from your day to help get the work done at the house of the Lord. You are doing everything that the Levites, the people who were the worship leaders, you're doing what they did. So please, please, please join serve teams. They are crucially important for your growth as a person and also for the growth as a church. When you grow, we grow. So if you're not on a serve team yet, Go ahead and talk to one of the staff after church today, and we will love to get you pointed in the right direction on what your next steps are for joining a serve team. One of our core uh, values here is we pursue excellence because God deserves excellence, right? And that is so true. And if we learned that basically everything that we do here is worship, then why wouldn't we do it with excellence? So in Colossians uh, 3.23, it says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. This verse says, whatever you do, do it as if you're working for God. So that takes it a step farther. Now it's not just what you're doing here, it's what you're doing out there. Everything that we do in here and out there is worship. Whether you want to view it that way or not, it is. Now you just have to think about what am I worshiping? If everything that you do, everything that you do, totally your whole life is some form of worship, what are you worshiping? The answer should be God, but it may not always be. And that's when you see back to number one, and worship is priority. How do you prioritize? And then you need to change your perspective. Once your priorities are in check, start to view everything as an act of worship, guys. And then things will start coming together. So, answer number three. Worship is posture. So, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, what do we do during a worship service? Uh, here in verse 30, we see that the Levites were to stand every morning and every evening, but there were other times that David instructed them to sit, kneel, or even lay down on their stomachs. So what are we supposed to do? Do we stand? Do we sit? Do we kneel? Do you play the referee and say it's good? You know, do you say it's good? Do you uh, tell a fishing story? Do you lie about the fish? Um, do you hold the baby, carry the TV? What are you supposed to do, right? Like, how are you supposed to worship? And the answer to that simply is yes. Because as I was reading through all of this stuff, one thing that I learned is that God looks a lot more at the posture of your heart than he does the posture of your body. But don't get it twisted. Worship is posture. Posture is very important, but it doesn't have as much to do with the body as we may think. So, how many of you have bad posture, physically speaking, not worship speaking? I do. Like, I have terrible posture. I slouch a lot. So I looked up what the side effects of bad posture could be. Um, back pain, rounded shoulders, degenerated discs, and a pot belly. So it's not the food, guys. It's just bad posture. I'm telling you, it's, it's not the calories. It's just bad posture. If you straighten up and you stand upright, it doesn't look as bad. Um, but if there, are, if there are physical bad side effects to posture, right, then are there spiritual side effects to poor posture? Whenever you don't posture your heart in the right way, are there spiritual side effects to that? 
the sad answer is yes, and they're kind of um, depressing. So, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 12, it says, When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgusts me. I want no more of your pious meetings. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Guys, that's what happens when you worship God with poor posture. And see, they had their hands up. They looked like they had it all together. But God wasn't looking. They were, they were screaming out their prayers. They were yelling. They were singing at the top of their lungs. But God didn't listen. Because, see, the thing is, while they tried to hide and cover it up and make it look like they had it all together, the inside, their heart was about as far away from God as it could be. And the posture that God looks at is the posture of your heart. Now, yeah, he wants to see the posture of your body. He wants to see you engaged. Don't, don't mistake that. But whether or not you're standing, sitting, kneeling, or have your hands lifted, posture your heart towards God. Turn your heart towards him. That's how God sees it. That, um, that verse that we were just looking at, that's how God sees it whenever you don't have good posture. So, how do you posture your heart, you might ask, and I have somewhat of an answer for that. You bring him your brokenness. Psalms 51 says, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would have offered one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken heart. You will not reject a broken, repentant heart, O oh God. See, we don't have to hide our brokenness from God like we think. Our brokenness doesn't disqualify us from worshiping God. That's actually what he wants. He wants us to bring our brokenness. He wants us to bring those hard, rough edges of our lives uncut so that he can smooth them. Not so that somebody else can smooth them and, you know, you, you go to someone and they, I mean, going to people is great, guys, but God wants to work on those rough edges. He wants to be the one that takes that rough stone and turns it into an altar. So let me encourage you today that if a broken spirit is what you have, that's great because that's the offering that he wants. And it's not that he won't reject it. It says that he can't reject it. He, he won't do it, guys. He can't do it. It's if you come to him with a broken spirit, he'll accept it. That's all that he wants, guys. That's all that he wants. And then as I was reading, as I was reading, I was like, man, I need, a, I need something that we see a person put this in, into play. And I, we see a person do this. And what does it look like? So I was reading through Luke, and it says that when a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought him a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. It goes on to say that she kissed his feet. So if you know this story, you know that Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee, and that as soon as this happened, the Pharisees both immediately judged the woman and Jesus. Bad move by the Pharisees. Um, I wouldn't judge Jesus if I were you. Uh, it's not a good look, guys. But 
they immediately judged nonetheless. And Jesus starts to tell a parable, and at the end of it, he defends the woman and says that her sins are forgiven and go, and your faith has saved you, right? But as I was reading this, I noticed something, that she was broken. It says that she was a certain immoral woman, so people knew her. She had a reputation, and she was broken. And then it says that she broke the jar of alabaster and, you know, anointed Jesus' feet. And as I was reading that, plain as day, God said she was just as broken as the jar. And that's why her sacrifice was received. It had nothing to do with the amount of the money that the jar was worth or the oil inside of the jar. Even though it was very expensive, it was probably a year's worth of wages. But the fact that she was just as broken as the jar, that's what made it that true offering of a sacrifice, guys. He wants our brokenness. He wants us to be broken at his feet. We don't have to act like we have everything fixed. We don't have to act like we have everything together. In fact, that's not even why we worship God in the first place. See, we don't worship him out of our perfection, but we worship him because of his. Our worship isn't an overflow of how together our life is. And if it is, then you probably don't have a very good worship life. Because honestly, how often are our lives really together? If we waited till we had everything perfect to worship, then we would probably never worship. That's why we don't worship out of our perfection. But we worship God because of His. And see, as I was reading this all, all along, in that first verse we started with, the answer was right there. It says, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can now boldly come to God with all of our brokenness. Guys, don't hide. Don't hide your brokenness. Don't hide the imperfections. Don't try to hide this stuff from God and act like you have it all together. Because at the end of the day, He knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows your struggles. He just wants you to bring them to him. And as we close today, I just have one final question. If God wants us to bring our brokenness to him, will you? Will you bring him your brokenness? Or will you just hang on to it? Will you try to hide it? Um, will, you, will you hang on to it or will you hide it, guys? Will you? What are you going to do with it? You're going to be broken no matter what. So will you bring it to him or will you hide it and try to fix it yourself? Guess what? Answer number two doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work. But God does. He will take that brokenness and he will turn it into something beautiful, guys. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.